Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Abadisian, the suburban shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. And you're live. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Abadisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good heart shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic creation. Who doesn't love a lovely big metaphysical martini? A hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to 2020 OMG. Thank you for joining me on another round of Cosmic Cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini Show, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo in today's poorly educated, yet highly opinionated little world. Our goal here is to let the spirit inhabit the human, to allow our higher selves to guide our physical incarnations Because from that vantage point, well above the petty ego-driven agendas of mankind, we see through the establishment's relentless campaign to engineer our perception. From our new cosmic vantage point, we reclaim our minds from establishment indoctrination. We refuse to participate in perpetual warfare. We step away from the Purchase it, consume it, trash it, and repeat cycle. We refuse to live our lives as flesh-toned automatons. Awaken, oh my people, step away from the mindset of the sheeple, and do not give the divine cause to weeple. Don't you think it's time we thought for ourselves as sovereign souls, as individual manifestations, or should I say, individualized manifestations of supreme cosmic intelligence? Not as Democrats or Republicans or turnips. Not as conservatives or Labour or Lib Dems or Social Dems or whatever else is currently out there. You know, if your thought process is heavenly influenced by your party's manifesto, if that's where your thinking process starts, well, you're not thinking clearly, are you? And if your thought process is heavily influenced by... Protestantism, Catholicism, or orthodoxy, or this quaint notion of religious infallibility, well, then you can't blame the free thinkers for questioning your credibility. Not saying you can't entertain these things, but they're not permanent solutions. They're just temporary constructs to get us from one phase of life to the other. The cosmos, the divine, life in general, is just too big to hold into one little box. Party affiliations, religions, in time. In time, these will all go away. Because sitting at opposite ends of the room and yelling at each other about whose version of events is the correct version, is not only immature and downright embarrassing to witness, it's designed to keep us at each other's throats, splashing about in the shallows while the people who actually make the decisions that spin this world laugh at our gullibility and mock us as they take our earnings and deposit them in their private banks for their personal use. Why, why oh why, do we keep flip-flopping between right-wing governments and left-wing governments? Surely we need both wings working together to make the damn bird fly, don't we? Yet clearly the wings don't want to work together, so the bird just sits there, going around in circles, in different directions every four years. Unable to take off, unable to fly, it just sits there, poor bird, getting fatter and fatter, 
slower and slower, pooping all over itself where it sits, asking for more food, engorged and ready to explode. Kaboom! Well, in my ever-so-humble opinion, that would be a very good thing. The bird is dead. It died from exhaustion. Exhaustion caused by its wings working in opposition to each other. I mean, how clever is that? Not very, I think. Flippity-flop, flippity-flop, flappity-flap. What a load of crap. If we abolish the multi-party system of government, what would that look like? If we refuse to entertain right-wing or left-wing views and instead opted to elect only people who govern solely for the good of the nation, for the benefit of its citizens, would that be an improvement? Well, what a stupid question, Arnie. Of course that would be an improvement. But is it feasible? Could that work? How would we make that work? What would it look like? So an item comes up for debate. And instead of expending all this energy demolishing the other party's plan of action, just because you can, and it seems to be government's sole concern these days to demolish the other side, well, let's say there is no other side. There is just the item for debate. And your job, as a representative of we the people, is to work out, one, if this benefits the people and the nation, and two, How best to implement it? No ego-driven agendas. And of course, all this would be done without external influence from corporate money. Government, of course, would be free to consult with and pay for all manner of professional expertise, but no member of government would be allowed to receive money beyond their salary and expenses. And of course it would be unthinkable that anyone outside government would be allowed to write the text of any and all proposed bills. And of course, it would be unthinkable that state secrets were put into the hands of private defense contractors. And you'd be surprised the depth of that right now. So is everything I'm saying, does it make sense to you or does it sound naive to you? I'm sure it sounds quite naive. You know what sounds naive to me? The fact that so many people have no idea how the country is run. So many people don't know who runs the country. And we need to fix that. And we need to fix the way we organize government because it doesn't work. The two-party system does not work. Corruption is a crisis point. Lobbyists rule the roost. So let's stop flapping wings and let's concentrate on the body. There is someone trying to do that right now. I won't mention his name, but he's really misunderstood right now. So some progress is being made, but I think we need to put our attention on the body and drop the wings, don't you? In my humble opinion, and we all know the depths of my humility run deep. What about a limited term benevolent dictatorship? I think that's what America needs right now. Of course, like any system, That does require a moral compass, doesn't it? Something sorely lacking. Um, I think we should put out an ad for that. Attention, all potential benevolent dictators, your country needs you. Send your applications to the Metaphysical Martini Show, care of Arnie Avedisian, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. I would love to hear your thoughts on how to reorganize government because somebody has to. Oh, yes, that address I just gave you, you can use that same address to submit your questions for consideration on this show. And as Q&A question and answer is the primary focus of the show, let's get right to it, shall we? I think last month we didn't have a lot of questions, but then, you know, it was Christmas and it was solstice and it was New Year and it was Kwanzaa and it was just about everything that happens. So this week, my gosh, everyone's back on track. It's business back to normal. Um, More questions than I can handle in one show, but let's make an attempt. But first, let me have a little sip of my martini. I'm a little dry. Ah, yummo. All right, let's pick something from the sorting hat. And here's an email from a lady. Um, I presume she's a lady. Her name is Clarissa. Uh, I don't know where she resides because she does not say, and that's fine. 
Clarissa says, Dear Ani, I have been listening to Abraham, as channeled by Esther Hicks, for a while now, and I think he, Abraham, might be barking up the wrong tree. Really? We are told repeatedly that if we experience something unpleasant, we should immediately reach for a better feeling. How does bypassing or ignoring what is right in front of you in the moment constitute mindfulness? How does cause and effect play out if the cause is ignored? Also, says Clarissa, I am pretty fed up with hearing the words negative energy and positive energy. I'm beginning to think the whole New Age mindset is a charade, and we should all get back to sorting out our problems the old-fashioned way. What are your thoughts on this? Well, Clarissa, I'm happy to address the question. It's a good one, and I think quite timely. I am familiar with Abraham. I've read the books. I've seen the videos. I even attended a live channeling, and that was fun. Uh, Abraham is not a person. As I understand it, Abraham is a collective of upper causal beings who do not incarnate. So it doesn't surprise me that they sound a tad out of touch with the daily rigors of uh, physical human life as we know it here on Earth. Yes, I think he does sound a little Pollyanna from time to time. Now, the big picture is, of course, to always reach for a better feeling vibration. But that doesn't mean skipping the process and the resolution. And I have to agree with you, he doesn't always make this clear. So feelings, nothing more than feelings. Emotions, they're intelligence, aren't they? We talk about this a lot. We'll talk about it again now. Emotions are intelligence. How we react to a situation, for example, how easily we are triggered, which is the usual human response, uh, that lets us know how we currently feel about that situation and how well equipped we are or not to deal with it. So bypassing the emotion is not a good idea, is it? The majority of our problems would be eliminated if we spent time each day dissolving these emotional triggers that orbit our auras like so many uh, satellites of woe, outposts of outrage, if you will. The intelligence comes in, right? Something happens. We react. An emotion is generated. And the reaction either enhances our electrical field or short circuits it. So now we know what makes us happy and what does not. If we've been enhanced, we get a vibrational boost and we get to bask in a goodly and godly glow. If we've been traumatized, the electrical body has been disrupted. Instead of internalizing the disruption and giving it our full attention day in, day out, which is what we tend to do, And that's what turns disruptions into orbiting emotional triggers, by the way. Instead of internalizing, what we should be saying to ourselves is, hello, where did that come from? Why do I feel this way about this particular event? Uh, Why did I react like that? And what exactly is it I'm feeling? Because in my experience, it's not always what we think it is. Here's an example. We may react angrily and appear outraged, but deep down, perhaps what we really feel is shamed and humiliated. You know, with spiritual development, a little introspection, it goes a very long way. So once we've uncovered what we feel and we figure out why, and we take a few moments to literally breathe out the emotional triggers. Yes, folks, she's talking about breathing meditation again. Once we do that, then it's much easier to reach for a better feeling vibration. How we felt about it, how we dealt with it, that's now archived information, and we can draw from the archives in the future and react appropriately. Hope that helps, Clarissa. You know... I have to say, I have issues with some of the New Age stuff, too. When you take ancient knowledge, the teachings, the protocols, the things that have been handed down orally from generation to generation, perhaps for thousands of years, teachings that require a mindset of persistence, of diligence and focus. 
And then you cherry pick the parts you think are palatable to modern Western culture. Well, what you have there is something resembling instant guru in a box. Just add water. It's a poor substitute for the real thing, isn't it? Sometimes I think perhaps Abraham gives us too much credit. Perhaps he thinks we understand more than we actually do. Or perhaps it's the opposite. Perhaps he thinks we're too distracted to focus on the big picture and just, you know, sends out the message hoping for the best. I don't know. I do know, though, that many New Ages continue to follow the example of traditional religions by separating the spirit world from the physical world. And honestly, the whole point of creating physical realms is to let the spirit inhabit the human and to dissolve the illusion of duality. Clarissa, darling, let your intuition guide you. I think you're halfway there, if not all the way there, because you find your current curriculum lacking. So clearly you've moved, you know, you've moved past it. Well done, girl. Good for you. Thanks for the question. All right. Here's another one. And I don't know who this is from, but it's somebody in Medford. And I'm just, it feels like it's a man. It feels like a man. So uh, a chap from Medford in Oregon who says, Ani, intelligent design. Fact, theory, science, or what? Do you buy into it? Hmm. Well, Medford man, if you're asking me, if I believe a magic man in the sky spoke a magic word and kaboom, planets, animals, people appeared in a giant sprinkling of fairy dust, my answer to that is no. If you're asking me if I theorize that the universes are designed by an intelligent cosmic entity or collective, then my answer is yes. I love to theorize on such matters. I don't think science and spirituality are incompatible. They're two sets of language, two different approaches used to describe the same processes. I mean, my shaman story of cosmic creation is almost identical to a cosmologist version of the story. Mine is more romantic, perhaps, and it has chanting and bells and rattles and pretty robes, all designed to inspire the spirit. The cosmologist's version is more scientific and material and seeks to define and label, but it is every bit as inspirational. Intelligent design. Just look at the complexity of living organisms. I think the design is intelligent. A scientist might call it intricate. Somebody else might call it magical. So you could say that science is the language we use to explain in detail the wonder of divine creation. And many a scientist would agree that the materials they regularly examine and catalogue fill them with a sense of magic and awe. So I think, you know, the debate goes on. It's just words. It's just semantics. I have to say, though, if I really think about it, there is one exception to intelligent design. That would be eyelashes. Now, the way I see it, eyelashes were designed to stop things getting into our eyes. But every time there's something in my eye, it's an eyelash. So what's up with that? I'm going to put in a little, uh, you know, a, a little technical question there for the intelligent design team out there in the cosmos. Thank you for the question, Medford man. Uh, let the debate continue. All right. More questions, more questions. What have we got? Uh, here's a shorter one, I think. Or pro every time I say that, it goes on for hours. But let's see. Oh, this one's let's do this one. This one's from New Zealand. OK, here's a chap from a place called New Plymouth in New Zealand. And he says he's Rodney. Rodney says, I'm not going to try to do your accent, Rodney, because it'll be stupid. He says, I'm currently studying meditation. Will I be allowed to access the Akashic records? And if yes, will I be allowed to access records other than mine? And where the heck are the Akashic records located? Is there just one main library or are there multiple branches? What does it look like? 
how do I get there through my meditations? Yes, I did pick a short question, didn't I? Well, Rodney, kudos to you, my friend, for being so curious. So let's answer those questions. Will you be allowed to access them? Yes, of course, they're your records. Will you be allowed to access other people's records? Short answer, no, unless there is a pressing reason for you to do so. And even then, you'll be granted access only to the pertinent pages. Where are the Akashic records located? Uh, short answer, high up in the upper causal planes away from potential physical sabotage, because apparently that has happened. Is there just one library or many branches? Well, I believe every universe has one main branch and each solar system has a branch or access point. And then I suppose that translates to every planet. So Earth probably has its own sub branch. So let's let's be clear on this. The higher the dimension and upper causal is pretty high, the less the sense of solid places as we would understand them. Which leads into your next question, what does it look like? Uh, well, it looks like whatever you want it to look like, Rodney, because it's not a solid structure. It's a vast data bank, so you get to build your own library. So to me, it's a gleaming white marble edifice with wall-to-ceiling books and scrolls and tomes. It's ancient. It's got a kind of a sort of Greco-Roman, very slight touch of the Oriental feel to it. It smells old and musty and it's wonderful. And all the librarians that I meet wear colorful tunics and these really fancy beaded sandals. And they're very friendly and they're very helpful. And my Akashic record Library even has an astral coffee shop with pastries that have no calories. So you get to build your own. Because after all, if you're a younger person, you might want the information on a computer. Or you might want it downloaded to your Kindle. You can have it any way you want. You can have the information telepathically transmitted to you. But, you know, if you can do that, you don't need to do a meditation to get to the Akashic Records. You have direct access. So you, you asked another question. What was the other question? Ah, oh, how do I get there through my meditations? Well, it does take a little practice. But if you're new to all of this, a guided meditation is always the best way to start. So why don't we do one right now? I mean, let's do an abbreviated version of one that I use with my uh, mentorship students and my spiritual mastery program people. It'll give you an idea of how to go about it. And once you understand the process... You can rewrite it. You can write your own. Now, when we do guided meditations, they always start out like uh, I'm standing at the airport waiting for the airplane. I'm standing at the train station waiting for the train. I'm standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus. So you get to choose your own form of transport, whatever you want. And then there's the journey part. And then the guided meditation you know, drops you off at the uh demarcation point there and you get out of your transportation and you get to explore wherever it is you're going in this case the hall of records of the akashic records so when we do this meditation in class there's a lot of silence in between and um, with just tingly bells <laughs> where you're exploring so clearly we're not going to do that because silence on the radio just it just doesn't sound good so what I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the meditation for you so you understand the process. OK. So here we go. And with all meditations, always deep breath, relax, move your shoulders, move your wrists, twiggle your toes, do all of that. Just relax. OK. And I do recommend that since you're going to visit the Hall of Records, before you do your proper meditation, write down two or three of the questions or as many of the questions as you have. Because why do you want to visit the Hall of Records? It has the history of every single thing anybody has ever thought or done on any realm at any time for any reason. And normally humans go to a medium to consult the Akashic Records because they're having a problem in this lifetime and they want to see if there's any information from previous lifetimes. 
or indeed perhaps even future lifetimes, that could help them resolve their current issue. So, you know, you're going all the way to the Akashic Records. Take a moment. Write down your question. Okay. And when we begin the meditation, we take nine deep, slow, purposeful breaths, or as we will if you were doing this meditation properly. And here's my version. We're standing at the station of Eternal Spring, a single trap, one building station in the middle of a field filled with beautiful, fragrant flowers. It's late spring. It's a bright day and just warm enough to be without a jacket. There's only one train with only one destination, the Hall of Records, and then back to the station. As you wait for the train, close your eyes. Breathe in the intoxicating fragrance of flowers and sweet grass. Your senses are heightened, yet you are relaxed. There's a contented smile on your face. You're looking forward to this new adventure. You are beyond the veil of physical worlds, and so time is of no consequence here. You are enjoying doing nothing, letting the spring air wash over you like sweet perfume. Ah, here comes the train. The doors open, and the returning passengers come out of the carriages. Some are smiling, some are lost in thought. Others are quite animated, talking to each other and laughing out loud. They walk to the end of the platform and poof, they're gone. Now it's your turn to board the train. Open the door to your chosen carriage and take a seat. Sit back and relax. There's plenty of legroom and you don't have any baggage to worry about because there is no baggage in the land of the eternal spring. Toot toot, we're off. Toot toot, chugga 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 chugga. Slowly at first, lots of time to enjoy the scenery. Miles and miles of seemingly, oh God, untouched nature. Fields of wild flowers, the prettiest, the most colorful birds you have ever seen with the sweetest chirps and calls. And somewhere in the distance, you can just make out some houses, possibly a village, but we're picking up speed now. Faster, 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 faster. Ooh, we're moving so fast that it almost feels as though parts of us have been left behind. This is amazing. I've never, oh, ah, we feel so light, actually, and carefree. We thought we'd be nervous about going so fast, but this feels so natural. Faster and faster we go until we're moving so fast, it almost feels as though we're not moving at all. Wow. Is this how it feels when time stands still? I'm going to have to close my eyes. I oh, this is marvelous. Toot, toot. Attention, all souls. We have arrived at the Hall of Records. Kindly disembark and make your way to the main entrance. You're standing about 400 feet from the main entrance. Can you describe what you see? Take a moment and look around. Walk up to the main door. Walk through the main door, look around. What do you see? Have you located the information desk? Can you describe the people behind the desk? Are they humanoid or are they unfamiliar to you? Well, don't be shy. Go ahead. Ask them to help you receive the knowledge that you're looking for. Now, remember, you will only be granted access to information that is for your highest good and that benefits your cosmic evolution. Oh, so they've given you, what have they given you, a slip of paper with some writing on it? Okay, well, now you know where to go. Go ahead, find that shelf or find that particular computer and access the information. 
Now, the records are written in the language of light, but you'll be able to read them in your preferred Earth language. Do you understand the data? Do you understand what you're looking for? Now, if for any reason you don't understand it, don't worry. There are librarians in every room and they're going to help you. I mean, it's your first time. In fact, if you look around, you might even find one of your spirit guides speaking at you, willing to help you out. And even if you don't need their help, you know what I found? The Library Cafe is an excellent place to meet and chat with your guides. So there's no hurry. You're allowed to spend as much time as you need here. Time has no sway over this realm. And once you've accessed and understood the information, well, it's woven into your light body and your brain has access to it. And when your business is concluded, leave the library, go back to the station platform. The train will be along in no time at all. Toot toot, all aboard. Next stop is the station of Eternal Spring. Enjoy the ride back. And when the train pulls in, disembark, walk to the end of the platform, and you will be back on Earth in the exact same spot. Take some breaths. Welcome home. So, Rodney, my darling, that gives you a little idea of uh, the type of meditation that could help you. If you have trouble finding those, drop me a line and I'll send you some links. Thanks for the question. Okay, let's do a gong. And now it's time for a little pat of poetry. Yes, folks, after a hard day shamaning, I like nothing better than coming home to a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, putting my feet up and writing really bad, non-peer-reviewed poetry. Why have Emily Dickinson and literary prowess when you can have Cosmic Arnie and a whole lot less? Today's offering is titled Wishlist 2020. Thank you very much. Whatever we wish for in 2020 may be granted with love and with plenty. For good deeds performed in this coming year, may we be rewarded with kindness and beer. I pray we awaken and share common vision and stop playing games with nuclear fission. I suggest we speak less, think more and learn focus to distinguish between true events and the hoaxes. And finally, for surely this cannot be disputed, Let's see the suits exposed, arrested, and prosecuted. That was it, my little opening poem for 2020. I do believe on the next show we're going to have more E.T. poetry. Hey! Yippee! And now for some audacious announcements. I would like to take this opportunity to remind you that in addition to the Metaphysical Martini Show, which goes out live every other Wednesday on Cosmic Reality Radio, I have the pleasure of co-hosting the Say What Show, also on Cosmic Reality Radio with Nancy Hopkins and Dolly Howard on the second Saturday of each month. Both shows are available on YouTube a day or so after the live streaming. But wait, there's more. I have approximately 100 videos of my own on my own YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, pop my name, Ani Avedisian, in the YouTube search bar and click on your preferred playlist. All subjects discussed are in the realms of spirituality, metaphysics and public awareness and designed to help we the people find clarity in today's misinformed and mismanaged world. And while you're at it, why not visit my website, arniavidician.com, and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Monday Messages. It's short, it's sweet, it's full of buttery goodness. And it also gives you a heads up on upcoming classes, events and specials, which are not always posted on the website. Well, the specials aren't always posted. Everything else is. And now a word from our sponsors. Oh, wait, we don't have any sponsors. Well, that could change. If you'd like to sponsor me, give me a call because this show exists because of the benevolence of Nancy Hopkins and Cosmic Reality Radio. 
And now, my darlings, it's time for tarot. A go, go, tarot. A go, go. Yay! A little shenanigana with a major arcana. And this week's card is number 10, the Wheel of Fortune. And every time I see this card, I start singing that rock classic by Blood, Sweat and Tears. Do you know the one spinning wheel? You know how it's like, what goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go round. Talking about your troubles, it's a crying sin. Ride a painted pony, let the spinning wheel spin. Woohoo! Yes, I've had a lot of martini. I love that song. Okay, where was I? Ah, yes, tarot a go-go. Using the Rider Waite deck, this week's card is the Wheel of Fortune. Do you think it's an adaptation of Ezekiel's wheel? I'm pretty sure it was. Pretty sure it is. Hands up who thinks Ezekiel's wheel was a spaceship. Yep, look at all those hands. So let's look at this card. The wheel, of course, is the dominant focus of this card. But let's look at the four corners. So we see four mythical creatures. And these creatures, I believe, are mentioned in the book of Ezekiel and in Revelations. I think Ezekiel 1.10 and Revelations 4.7. Uh, bull. The bull is one of them, Taurus, representing Earth. The lion, Leo, representing fire. The eagle, uh, representing Scorpio and water. Um, sometimes it's the phoenix, but this looks like an eagle. And the human. There is a human there, and that's Aquarius, and that actually is representing air. So on the rim of this wheel, there's the letters R-O-T-A, and interspersed with the letters J-H-V-H, which we are told make up the sacred name of God, Yahweh. I have my own views on that, but we can go into that another time. So what else do we see on this card? We see alchemical symbols. There's salt, there's mercury, there's sulfur. And on top of the wheel is the sphinx. And apparently this represents the inner self, the true spiritual self, the authentic spiritual self. And on the lower right-hand side, we see Hermes Anubis, and that's a Greco-Roman deity representing the evolution of human consciousness. And the poor chap doesn't look very happy, does he, holding up the wheel? He has this sort of, oh, my God, here we go again. What are the humans up to? Look on his face. And what else do we see on this card? There's a serpent in there. Now, to me, serpents represent the opposing forces of good and evil. I think wait, as in rider wait person who did this card thing, uh, he said the serpent represented Typhon. And for those of you who enjoy a bit of Greek mythology, you will know that Typhon was a monstrous, deadly, icky creature. And he was the offspring of Kronos, the Titan. And he and his mate, the very lovely Echidna, gave birth to many dreadful creatures. Ugh. Well, Typhon, what's he famous for? Well, he tried to overthrow Zeus and gain control of the entire cosmos. Well, Zeus, because Zeus was the main Gumbare up there, he thunderbolted him into submission and he banished him to Tartarus. And Tartarus is the dark abyss of the underworld designed to torture anyone who pisses off the Titans. So what's he doing in this card? I don't know. You tell me. Honestly, sometimes I think just wait through in as many esoteric symbols as he thought he'd get away with and said, what do you think, chaps? What do you think? Do you think that looks mystical enough? OK, let's go with that. Well, the more you stare at the card, as with any other card, the more images come into view. And I'm a big fan of spending a whole week with just one card picking it up, looking at it, say, 15 minutes a day, meditating with it. You know, when you're that familiar with it, the images come to life after a while. So when people ask me, what does this card mean, Annie? My response is usually along the lines of, what does it mean to you? Symbolism varies from culture to culture. Uh, for example, a pig. Take a pig. Why not? It may mean wealth to one group of people but it represents filth and squalor to another group of people. So don't go by what the tarot card says it means in the book. Learn all that and then free float away from that. So should we pick the Wheel of Fortune? What is it saying to us? What should we 
expect when we get this card? I say, I think it's probably one of the easier cards to interpret, really. What goes up must come down. Because outside source, change is the only constant. So this card is telling us, be open to all possibilities. If we pick this card upright, or if it's upright in a spread, I would say success is assured. You're aligned with the project and the gods of destiny favor you in matters, business and personal. But what if it's reversed? Because there's always a controversy with reverse cards in tarot. Does it mean the exact opposite? Does it mean the same thing, but to a lesser degree? You have to work with the cards and let them be a part of you to really know how to interpret them, whether they're upright or reversed. There is no right or wrong to this. The cards come to life and tell you what they mean if you spend time with them and they're your friends. But generally... If it is reversed, the Wheel of Fortune, the timing is not right on a project. So it's saying regroup and wait for a better window of opportunity. And then with any card, there's always a bigger picture, an archetypal pattern or a main theme. And with this card, it's how willing am I to change if I need to change? And of course, we need to change. Do I really know what it means to go with the flow? Or am I just being a pig-headed, cantankerous, pouty little humanoid? There's a lady um, from England. Her name is Professor Eileen Connolly. She's a noted tarotologist and parapsychologist, and she's uh, written wonderful books about tarot. I, I suggest if you want to study tarot and you're not in the Portland area and you don't want to study with me, uh, go out and buy her books. But she's written a, a sweet little ditty about the Wheel of Fortune. The wheel of life spins round for man. You must adapt the best you can. And I think that sums it up quite nicely. Number 10, the Wheel of Fortune, the cycle of life. Well, that was lovely. But now it's time for Plato Chips, a segment in which we quote a philosopher of note. And today's philosopher of note is Epictetus. Or, as if we were in school, we would call him Epictetus. But, you know, when you're 14 years old, you're so clever, aren't you? Epictetus, one of the Stoics. So who was this chap, and why is he important? Well, he was born sometime in the 50s, uh, common era. I don't mean 1950s, I mean literally 50. <laughs> common era, in Heropolis, which was a, a Greek city in Asia Minor, Asia Minor being Phrygia, uh, Phrygia being modern-day Turkey. Um, and he spent a big portion of his life as a slave, uh, an educated slave, um, of Epaphroditus, who was a very important administrator in the court of Nero. So he learned a great deal from this man. Um, so he started out his life there, but then he, he moved to Rome and lived there until he was banished where he went uh, and, you know, died in Greece in a place called Nicopolis. So why have I chosen him? I mean, we all know I favor the Stoics, but I like the way he teaches philosophy. He teaches it as a way of life and not a theoretical discipline. You know, he says all external events are beyond our control, so we should accept them calmly and dispassionately. And, you know, but on the other hand, we are responsible for our own actions, and we should examine and control our emotions through rigorous self-discipline. And I like him particularly because he wasn't a stuck-up academic. He taught philosophy, I, I would assume, to anyone interested in living a better life. And he believed, as do I, that in order for the spirit to inhabit the human, the human needed persistence, diligence, and focus on a daily basis. He was a straightforward fellow. He encouraged his students to put their theories into practice. He didn't like to the, have them sit there and just go into whole luxurious thoughts of philosophizing and theorizing. He wanted their thoughts to benefit mankind. And the main questions to be answered as far as he were concerned was, one, how do I live a happy and fulfilling life? And two, how do I become a better person? 
He didn't really set great store by a person's professional achievements. He didn't think that contributed much to true personal happiness. You know, he thought if you do the right thing and you live a virtuous life, that brings true happiness. Not how many Roman villas you own or how many foreign campaigns you've won. And he he was very big on learning to think clearly, not being a minion of the state, of refining your character day by day. That's what brings happiness, he thought. Living life with dignity and tranquility. And I must say, I agree with him. Now, you can go to your local library and read all about his life, his history. So today, I will read some of his tantalizing tidbits for you. And I've got a few books here, and I'm going to pick and choose. I'm not going to read these in Greek and Latin. Um, my Latin's not bad. My Greek's not that good. My English is pretty okay. So we're going to just read some of the snippets, and we'll get an idea of why we like him. Because even though th this is ancient writing, there's a real contemporary feel to it. Because the purpose of life, that's never going to change, is it? Doesn't matter what the year is. We're all individualized manifestations of supreme cosmic intelligence. All trying to live a virtuous life. All of us trying to bring heaven on earth and have a jolly good time why we do it. So here's a, a bit from Epictetus, <laughs> and this is this is about, I suppose you could subtitle this, Mind Your Own Business, Mate. Keep your attention focused entirely on what is truly your own concern, and be clear that what belongs to others is their business and none of yours. If you do this, you will be impervious to coercion and no one can ever hold you back. You will be truly free and effective, for your efforts will be put to good use and won't be foolishly squandered finding fault with or opposing others. Note to everybody who uses social media, please. In knowing and attending to what actually concerns you, you cannot be made to do anything against your will. Others can't hurt you. You don't incur enemies or suffer harm. If you aim to live by such principles, remember it won't be easy. You must give up some things entirely and postpone others for now. You may well have to forego wealth and power if you want to assure the attainment of happiness and freedom. So there's a note from Epictetus. Mind your own business, people. Do what's important and shut up. So here's a few other little tidbits that I really enjoy. And this one is subtitled, Those who seek a life of wisdom will be ridiculed. Oh, does that sound familiar? Those who pursue the higher life of wisdom who seek to live by spiritual principles, must be prepared to be laughed at and condemned. Many people who have progressively lowered their personal standards in an attempt to win social acceptance and life's comforts bitterly resent those of philosophical bent who refuse to compromise their spiritual ideals and who seek to better themselves. Never live your life in reaction to these poor souls. Be compassionate toward them, and at the same time, hold to what you know is good. When you begin your program of spiritual progress, chances are the people close to you will deride you and accuse you of arrogance. It is your job to comport yourself humbly and to consistently hew to your moral ideals. Cling to what you know in your heart is best. Then, if you are steadfast, the very people who ridiculed you will come to admire you. But if you allow the mean-spirited opinions of others to make you waver in your purpose, you incur a double shame. 
just as useful today <laughs> as it was thousands of years ago. And here's another one that I, I enjoy. Don't please others. Don't fall into the trap of pleasing others. In trying to please other people, we find ourselves misdirected towards what lies outside our sphere of influence. In doing so, we lose our hold on our life's purpose. Content yourself with being a lover of wisdom, a seeker of truth. Return and return again to what is essential and worthy. Do not try to seem wise to others. If you want to live a wise life, live it on your own terms and in your own eyes. Because people, character matters more than reputation. Well, I want to thank Epictetus, Epictetus, for making an appearance on our show today. Go out and read all about him. He is wonderful. Going to do a little time check, and I think we're getting close to the hour. So, oh my gosh, what shall we say? What shall we say? I think I'll say, my darlings, I think that's it for today. I finished my martini. Well, almost. Hang on. Hang on. Okay, now I finish my martini, and that means the show is over. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I had a blast. Today's real-life martini, which was gorgeous, was carefully crafted by yours truly using Kettle One Mature Geneva, also known as Dutch Gin. But it's not actually gin. It's a different type of malted grain-based spirit, which is drunk straight and chased down with a cool beer. In this case, Heineken. So not a traditional martini, but heck, it's awesome. And two ingredients constitute a cocktail, so who cares? Now, friends, cocktails are lovely and best when they are an occasional treat. If you use high-quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini Show with Ani Abedisian, the Suburban Shaman, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio.